As we come to God's Word this morning, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Luke. We're continuing our series through the book of Luke, and specifically Jesus' sermon that he gave on the mount. We're in Luke chapter 6, and this morning we're looking at the passage, verse 27 to 36. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive... What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, I'd like you to turn to the parallel passage, as it were, the second camera zooming in on the same sermon, and that's to be found in Matthew chapter 5. If you'd turn there with me, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Matthew 5, verse 38. Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, Go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that puts a bit of a slant on it as well. 
I don't know if any of you have watched that um, TV program. I try not to watch it. I think I watched one. The TV program called Neighbours from Hell. You seen that? You have uh, what starts as a gentle argument between neighbours, typically a branch hanging over and dropping leaves or something like it. And then these neighbours start climbing into each other about this specific thing. And that quickly widens out to some other topic. And sometimes it's all out war between them. And this TV program, it's amazing what they zoom in on these days, but reality TV, they zoom in on these people having this full out war. And that's now entertainment for us. I heard of a recent divorce settlement in the States, and I'm not saying it could only happen in the States, I'm sure it's happened here too, where a husband decided... That uh, it had been decided that he had to give 50% to his wife when they split up in the divorce. And so he literally took his chainsaw and he went through every single thing in the house, including the house, and he cut it in half. And then, to end it all, he took the chainsaw to someone and they actually took the chainsaw apart as well and split that in half. And so they both ended up with what? Nothing. Tit for tat. You see, the Bible says that hatred only breeds more hatred. James says it like this, James 1 verse 20, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You see, in his sermon up to now, Jesus had laid down the principles or the blueprint for living life at its best in all circumstances including during times when people hate you. How do you say that? Glance back to verses 22 and 23 of our passage in Luke. He said, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they heap insults upon you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And underline that bit, by the way, on account of the Son of Man. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is now, okay, so I stand up for the the name of Jesus Christ, and now men hate me, women hate me, students hate me, my fellow colleagues might hate me for that. Now, how do I react to these people as a Christian? How do I live in those circumstances? How do I continue to show my Christian love towards them in those circumstances? How do I reflect the love shown in the gospel message in my reaction towards hostility directed at me in life? How do I do that? Students, family, colleagues, sadly even sometimes in the church. Well, let's look at who Jesus was addressing. If you glance back in your passage, this crowd was gathered around Jesus. That crowd would have been a mix of his own disciples. It would have been the newly appointed, who? Apostles that were there. It would have been religious leaders in that crowd. There would have been tax collectors in that crowd. There would have been a mixture of men and women, Jews, Gentiles, Romans. Now we need to also think in what period were they? They were under the Roman occupation. And in the Roman occupation, hatred was the order of the day. You see, the Jews didn't like the Romans being in their country. The Romans didn't want to be there because who wants to come to a hot country where there's hardly water and the people hate you? They didn't want to be there either, but they had to be there. 
And that was the situation that Jesus is preaching the sermon into. He's addressing this mixed crowd where hatred was rife. And he said this, this to them. He said, love your enemies. Now that would have taken some attention. Love your enemies? What do you mean, Jesus? Well, Jesus starts on the Jewish leaders, as he often does. Because they were the ones in charge of the nation of Israel, the people living in that country, the ones who were supposed to be living out God's love towards everyone around them. He starts with them. Because, you see, the leaders had misinterpreted God's law. They'd, make it, they'd, they'd made it suit their own, what they wanted to do. You see the Old Testament that taught in Leviticus 19 verse 18 and it said this. This is the original word of God. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? For I am the Lord, Jehovah. That's what God's word had said. Now, what had the scribes done with it? The scribes had said the following. And Jesus quotes him in that passage we looked at in Matthew. You have heard that it was said. Now, when he uses that phrase, you have heard that it was said, he's referring to what the religious leaders have said. Okay? So, it's not what God's word has said. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and, and then he adds what they had said, and hate your enemy. So, God's word had said, you shall love your neighbor, and the Jewish leaders added this bit, and hate your enemy. You see, the scribes were soft-peddling God's love. They were confining this love of God to Jews only, their fellow brethren, their brothers and sisters. They were saying it excludes the Romans and the Gentiles. You can hate those to your heart's content because they're the enemy. That's what they were teaching actively. And as they were doing that, they were building a growing wall between Jew and Gentile in the nation of Israel. Sometimes a little bit like our society today. And you can think of all the different hatreds there are around. But there was another barricade that these religious leaders were erecting. They were erecting a wall between the good Israelites, them, and all people trained in the gospel, in the Torah, and all those others, the rabble who were untrained, who didn't know what they were talking about. Yes, including the Jews. And so there was another wall going up in the society. A little bit like us in our churches sometimes when you look at those who don't know as much as us. Up goes a wall. You see, Jesus came to break down all these walls. Jesus came with his gospel message to tear down all these man-made fences that we put up. He proclaimed the gospel. A gospel that said, you hated me, all of you, I came because I loved you, I died for you, I made a way back to God for you. Now love in the same way. So Jesus came down to pull down these walls. And so what does he do? He's exposed what they've taught and now he correctly interprets the law as it was intended. Here it is. He's, Jesus exposes their misinterpretation and he ups the ante he gives the correct interpretation of the love your neighbor law, as God intended. So what does loving your neighbor look like, he says? Firstly, he says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. With the same love you're supposed to have towards your own Jewish people. 
whether they're the untaught rabble or whether they are the learned religious leaders, yes, you're supposed to love those, but love your enemies with the same love as you love your own people, says Jesus. Secondly, he says, actively do good to those who hate you. Actively do good to those who hate you, not just your fellow countrymen. You see, Jewish law said that if your fellow countryman was in need, you had to help him or her in his need. You had to do good towards them. That was your legal obligation by God's law. But Jesus is upping the ante saying, use the same things that you do good to them to do good to your enemy too. Love your neighbor. Yes, love the tax collector who's standing right next to you in the crowd. Yes, love that prostitute who might be standing next to you and who you're trying to shuffle away from, says Jesus Yes, look at that Roman soldier next to you. Love him too. That's what God's law calls you to. And I I could nearly sense a bit of embarrassment perhaps in the crowd there. People shuffling around, looking around. Even the Roman soldiers would have heard this message. Thirdly, Jesus says, bless those who curse you. You see, Jewish law said that if your brother was good towards you, then you could call down a blessing on your brother. Jesus is saying, no, don't just do that. Call down a blessing on your enemy as well. That Roman soldier who comes to your house and knocks on the door and wants your tax. That tax collector who comes to your house, who wants your hard-earned money. Call down a blessing on them too, says Jesus. And then fourthly, he says, actually pray for those who mistreat you. Yes, bring them before your God and ask God to bring about their good and ask God to treat them well. Yes, they might be your enemy, but ask God, you ask God to treat them well. Now, that is hard. This would have been a radical message in that day. Just think of that setting. And then he ups it even further. I love the way Jesus teaches. He starts low and he builds up and he ups the ante even more. He says, Well, in case you still haven't got that one, I'll make it practical for you. I'll put working clothes on your love. What is it supposed to look like every day? I'll give you real examples, he says. When someone strikes you on the cheek, then turn turn to him the other cheek also. Now, I'm sure you've always wondered about that passage. So, if someone comes along in the street and gives you a good old what-ho, do I then turn around and go, okay, other one too. Is that how we're supposed to react? Is that what Jesus is saying? You see, in the Roman world, a Roman, sol- Roman soldiers weren't nice guys. They're not like our military, dressed neatly, and they say, how do you do? Yes, ma'am. Yes, no. I think they still say that type of thing. We were trained that way. Roman soldiers were roughens. They were thugs. That's why they were recruited into the army. They weren't there because they were nice. And they used to run roughshod over people. If they wanted something that you had, they would take it from you by force. What could you do about it? And many, many times people would get struck. They would actually get physically hit by Romans. And so Jesus is saying to them, when someone strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other cheek also. No, no, not in a cocky, well, see what you can do to me, mate. Not that type of attitude. And we're not supposed to have the martyr attitude either. Well, oh, poor me, just hit me again, please. It's not that attitude either, you see. 
It is an attitude which says, yes, I know this is wrong, but I'm willing to leave it there and to forgive you. It's an attitude of the heart which comes out, you see. And I can nearly hear you saying to me, what, did Jesus literally mean that? Did he mean that people can just walk over us as Christians and we've got no rights at all? Is that what he's saying? Yes and no. I'll explain. You see, think of our fellow brothers and sisters who are part of the persecuted church. Their rights, they've got no rights. They get put in prison. They get persecuted. They lose their lives. Who can they turn to? The law? The law is not there for them. So yes, they lose their rights for the sake of Christ. And yes, you and I, sometimes we must be willing to suffer wrong for the sake of the impact of the gospel message on whoever we are reacting to. Yes, you can stand up for your rights, but is that what Jesus calls you to? Should we not sometimes just let go of those rights for the sake of the gospel? Should we not show that love which Jesus showed towards us and let it go? What did Jesus forgive you and I for, you see? We hated him and he loved us. Let's look at Jesus' example. What did he do? He allowed himself to be whipped and ill-treated. John chapter 19, verse 1. He allowed men to do that to him. His own creations, he allowed them to whip him and ill-treat him. But Jesus also spoke up at times. He didn't just quietly take it all the time. John chapter 18, verse 22 and 23. Jesus is in front of Pilate. And Pilate takes Jesus on. And Jesus doesn't just stand there and take it. He speaks back to Pilate. But the attitude is what is important. When Jesus speaks back to Pilate, who is an authority figure, he speaks with an attitude which does not show anger. He's much better than me, I know. He speaks back to Pilate not with lovelessness. He speaks back to him in love. He speaks back to Pilate not with hatred as a Roman. He speaks back to to Pilate in love. He doesn't yearn for revenge in his answer. Much better than me. So Jesus did stand up for his rights at times, but with the right attitude. He spoke out with an attitude of love. Where do we see that preeminently? Luke chapter 23 verse 34. Jesus on the cross. He's nailed to a cross of wood. He's busy dying. And what does he do? Lord Curse these people that have done this to me. Is that what he does? What are his words? I think if it was me on the cross, I might have done that. I hate you people. Look what you've done to me. What does Jesus do? These are his words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Son of Man pleaded for his enemies before his Father. That's what Jesus calls you and I to do. That's the level we are called to obey. And the question is, do we? We've had recent events in this church and very sadly, we have seen reactions in people. I leave that between you and the Spirit. What was your reaction 
How did you react? Was it to this extent of loving? Jesus gives a second example in case they didn't get the first one about the cheap um, slapping. He says, so if someone takes your coat, then give him your shirt too. You see, the Jewish law said that if your neighbor came along to you and needed a coat urgently, if you have a spare, you're supposed to give him your coat. The Roman law said that if a Roman soldier came walking on the road and he liked your cloak, he could take it and say, give that to me please, and by law you had to give it to him. If he said to you, I want you to carry this heavy load for me for one mile, the law said, the law said you must carry it for that mile. But Christ said, no, carry, carry it two miles. Go double. You see, what is he doing? He's going to the extremes. He's saying, this is what the law says, but I say to you, go double. Do more than that. Show my love in practice. Give to everyone who asks of you. Have the right attitude. Give freely, says Jesus. Verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Can you already feel that rebelliousness creeping up in you? But, uh, I don't want to let go of my stuff. You see, Paul explains it as only Paul can. Turn with me, if you would, to a passage, Romans chapter 12. And I'm sure you've wondered about this passage before. Romans chapter 12. And there's this very interesting little verse there that we often refer to when we're feeling bad about a situation. The revenge verse. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. I'll read it through with you. This is what the Apostle says. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is, hung, if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. There's the verse I was referring to. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what about that burning coal passage you say? You see, I used to interpret that if you do good to someone, then you're leaving the law to God, right? And one day God will heap burning coals on that person's head and serve them right too. So I will do good for them now because I'm going to get them back later. Well, many people interpret that, law, that verse like that. You see, the Old Testament law said, if your neighbor comes to you, right, middle of the night, there's a knock on the door, and there's your neighbor's wife dressed in a nightgown, all right, and she says, listen, our fire's gone out. Can you give me some coals, please? Now, the law said you must give her a certain amount, and they actually numbered it, so many live coals. And then you'd put it in a shard of clay or something like that, and that would get too hot to carry. And generally, like in Africa, the woman in Israel used to carry things on their head. They'd put a wad or something there, put this hot thing on their head so that they didn't have to touch it with their hands because it was hot. And then they take it home, blow their fire into life, and you've helped your neighbor. All right? And generally what people did was they'd give them the worst coals, the ones on the edges that had kind of gone out already anyway. Jesus ups it. You see, this Paul's teaching said, stated, 
No, no. When your enemy comes to you, that Roman soldier, he's doing service next to you in a camp nearby. His fire's gone out. Right, there's a knock on the door. There's this big Roman soldier. How are you supposed to react to him? Well, Paul says, give him the burning coals, the best coals in your fireplace. And don't just give him the same amount that the law says you must. Heap them onto him. So give him a big pot. Pour the burning coals in there. Let him put it on his head. And now these burning coals are on his head. And let him go away. Because let God judge in the end. You see the difference? In other words, he's saying, when your enemy comes to you, bless him. Bless your enemy. Put burning coals on his head. Lots of them. So that he can start his fire. We're getting the message? You see how Jesus has upped the ante? Listen to this, please. If this is all you hear today. Don't hold on so tightly to your rights on this earth and what is yours. Treat others the way you want to be treated. How do you want to be treated? You want people to be nice to you, don't you? I'm a nice guy. Be nice to me. Treat others the way you want to be treated. We want to be treated with love, respect, kindness, generosity, don't we? Well, treat your enemy that way. Never mind your friends. You're supposed to treat them that way anyway. Treat your enemies that way too. You see the standard Jesus calls us? And then he doesn't leave it there. Jesus calls us to an even higher standard. Matthew passage said, be perfect as your father is perfect. He calls us, he points to a heavenly standard, God's standard, verses 32 to 36. He says to them, if you love those who, who love you, if you do good who do, to those who do good to you, if you lend to those who lend to you, so what? The world does that. A tax collector will do that for another tax collector. A thief will lend to another thief as long as he gets back. Exactly what he's lent, plus a little more usually. But thieves do that. How come when you do it, you think you've achieved something? You see, we call to a higher standard than this. In that crowd, the Pharisees would have been there. The prostitutes would have been kind of out of the way of the Pharisees. All these people would have been standing around, shuffling around now, because now Jesus is calling them to perfection. And Jesus is saying, if you know different in your reactions as people who love me than the world around you, then you are practicing self-centered ethics. You're doing it because it helps you. And that's not what I call you to. I call you to higher standards. I call you to God's standards. You see, we call to a heavenly standard of love, of deeds, of service. Is it naturally possible? Can we possibly be perfect on this earth? And in frustration, we've got to say no. But that's the whole point, you see. Jesus is saying you cannot do it without a supernatural effect on your life. You cannot be perfect. You cannot live up to the standard that I have set for you and my Father has set for you without my help, without me living that standard through you. I need to live my love through you. It's not you living your love. And so, no, we can't do it naturally. You think you can, but you'll fail. Loving people has to be with a God-given love. We cannot just love with our own. It's just a feeble love. 
This love that God calls us to requires supernatural enabling. We cannot attain it on our own. It has to come through the Spirit working in you and I. And then he carries further. He says, if you live in this way, you will show the fruit of true righteousness in your life. I'll expand on that in a minute. You see, God wants us to love people. He wants us to break down the barriers that have come up between people that we put up. And He wants to, to break down those barriers with His love. His pure, warm, divine, infinite love, which can flow through us into other people. But you see, sometimes we are the biggest obstacle to allowing God's love into other people's lives. Because we try and do it on our own. Jesus is saying, love them with my love. Love your colleagues who don't like you because you've got promotion and they haven't. Love them with my love. Those students who look down on you when you go to Christian meetings, if they still have those at schools, love them with the love of Christ Jesus, not your own love. That family member who looks down on you because you go to church and you try and live a Christian life in your wider family, love them with the love of God. You see, that love will have an effect on, in their lives. Your love won't do anything. God's love is what breaks through. He doesn't just point to a heavenly standard. He says to you and I, verse 35, if we love in this way, we can expect a heavenly reward. And I love that, you see. There is something good coming our way. It doesn't matter if men, men and women take everything from you in this world. There is something that will happen for all eternity. He says, your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. You see, there are eternal rewards for you and I. God's grace will be poured out on us and has already been poured out on us. And it will mark you and I off as distinctive, as set apart, as sons and daughters of the Most High. There is a reward. And in case you've misunderstood me this morning, no, I'm not preaching a gospel of works. It doesn't mean if I love the way God wants me to love, then I will become a son or daughter of the Most High. No. If we love in that way, it will prove that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. That is what it's saying then. By their fruits will you know them, says Jesus Christ. And I have to ask you and I this morning, are we living lives which bear the image of our Father. As we live our daily lives, in our work situations, at school, that badge that we're wearing across our lives, whose arms are they? Is it, are it the arms, the coat of arms of our Father? Or of someone else? Are we living out our lives so that the world can see that we belong to our Father? First Peter 1, verse 14 to 16 said this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, the whole idea is that if we love in this way, with the Spirit helping us to love in this way, in our lives will be demonstrated the characteristics of our Father. We will be sons and daughters of the Most High. Are you living a life of obedience in such a way that the characteristics of your Heavenly Father shine through? 
when those bunch of cyclists, and I speak to myself now, and that bunch of cyclists rides out in front of your car, and Marty and I have often discussed this, does your reaction show that you belong to your heavenly father or to another father? I hang my head in shame sometimes. Then Jesus summarizes verse 36. He says, in summary, be merciful even as your Father is merciful to you. I'll add some brackets here just for you and I. Be merciful to others even as your Father is merciful to who? To you, to me. You see, there's a fundamental principle here. Mercy is undeserved kindness in words and deeds. Isn't that what God showed us? While we still hated him, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ Jesus died for us because of his great love for you and I. That's the love we are called to. That's the mercy we are called to show to others in return. How did God treat you and I? We should treat others in the same way. I want to ask you three questions as I close this morning. And these are the three questions. Firstly, how does the gospel or this message come to bear on your life today? Is there someone you need to go and see and fix up with? Is there a reaction you've had to, it could be someone when you've gone to pay your dog license and that you've reacted to them in, a, in an unkind way? Is this someone you should go and surprise and say, hey, listen, you might not remember me, but I was really not in the right spirit when I came and saw you the other day. I just want to say, I'm sorry. Man, that'll hit them. Talk about hitting on the cheek. People aren't used to that type of reaction anymore today. Is there a brother or sister that you need to fix up with? Is there a family member that you need to go and sort out with so that you can live a perfect life before your father? Do you love your enemies? Do you do good to those who hate you? Do you bless those who curse you? Do you actually pray for those who mistreat you? Second question. What are you afraid to give up for the sake of the gospel? Your possessions, your position, your privileges in life. Are you willing to give those up for the sake of the gospel? How tight is your hand around these temporary things? Is it so tight that it's tighter than the value of someone's soul? That really hit me. How tightly do I hold on to what I have? Is it tighter than the value of someone's soul? Thirdly, how does your life communicate the gospel message to your friends, to your family and to your neighbours? Yes, how does your life actually live out the gospel of love, loving working clothes, to your friends, family, colleagues around you? Does it do that? When they look at your reactions and my reactions, what do they see? Do they see a different coat of arms on me? Am I merciful to others as my Father is merciful to me? 
one of my biggest heroes in life, the one who's had the biggest impact, is a real old lady. She, her name is Corrie ten Boom. Who of you have read any of her accounts? This lady, she was involved in the Second World War in one of those concentration camps. A Dutch lady with her sister and her family. She was arrested and she spent time in that concentration camp. And she tells the story of her and her sister Betty. And there were two specific guards in this camp that hated them, but they specifically targeted Corrie and Betty. There was a man and a woman. And they used to come for them every single day. And especially the man. He used to come at Corrie and Betty. And they used to get flogged every single day for a period. Until Corrie's sister Betty, in the end, died from her injuries. And every time after one of these floggings, in severe pain, Corrie would say to this God, God loves you. And then she would endure the pain. And that would sometimes cause the God to thrash out even harder. And this carried on for several months until one of those guards was taken out and transferred to another camp, a woman. But Corrie had lost her sister because of that man. And she tells the story, and I've got the DVD clip if you ever want to listen to it one day. Corrie tells the story, she was walking in East Berlin after the war, sometime after the war. And suddenly this man came to her. And she recognized him as that God. And he came right up to her and he said, Miss Ten Boom, I want to tell you that I've become a Christian. And I want to plead with you, would you forgive me for everything that I've done for you, to you and your sister? And Corrie says in her autobiography, she says, I looked at that man and I knew in my heart I cannot forgive him. I cannot forgive him. And in that moment, you know those arrow prayers? You've heard of arrow prayers? She's prayed, Lord, show me, how do I forgive this man? I cannot forgive this man. I know I cannot do it. He killed my sister. He put us through pain. My parents were killed in that camp. I cannot. And this is the answer that came to her in her mind. I'll quote from her now. This is what she said. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Jesus Christ, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. There was the key. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives, along with the command, the love itself. You see, is there someone in your life that you just cannot forgive? Then don't forgive them with your love. Forgive them with the love of God. Let it just come through you. Because yes, you cannot do it. But God can and has done it for you. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. 
I want to take you to the last passage, Matthew chapter 6, and I'm just going to leave these verses with you. This is the reality check that Scripture gives us on our reactions. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, and I'll leave you with these words. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And one day when you stand in heaven before your heavenly Father, you will have that conversation with Him as a Christian. You will have that conversation. Let's be merciful to those who come across our way as God has been merciful to you and I. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, these standards that are set for us, the standard of perfection, is so impossibly high, Lord. And yet we know that in Your grace, You are merciful to us, and You have made a way that we can reach that standard of perfection. And that is through the perfection of Your own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died for us and the one who now stands before you and pleads for us. And you see his perfection and not our imperfection. Thank you, Father. But Lord, help us now in turn to live lives that are merciful to those that come against us with anything. And Lord, in the heat of the moment when our passion rises, May we remember we have been forgiven everything. How much are we to forgive? And help us to live out the message of the gospel in our reactions to people around us. And Lord, help us because we will be weak in this. You be strong. You shine your love through us, Lord, because we cannot do it on our own. Lord, may your forgiveness come through us because we cannot forgive in our own strength. We need you, our Father. We need your Spirit in our lives. Use us to shine out brightly the message of the Gospel so that others will see you through us and find life. Do your work in us and through us we pray. Amen.